think we all know the pedigree of the Cornell Lab of Ornithology when it comes to bird resources, and we at the ABA are excited to partner with the Cornell Lab of O to offer an amazing deal exclusive to ABA members. ABA members can now get a 15% discount to any new subscription to Cornell's amazing new Birds of the World resource that is applicable for three years. Birds of the World is a powerful resource that brings deep scholarly content from four celebrated works of ornithology into a single platform where birders can answer all their life history questions for every species of bird they could want. It is extraordinary. You can get more information at birdsoftheworld.org. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I am your host, Nate Swick. Congratulations are in order to Wisdom, the Lysan albatross, the oldest known wild bird in the world on the occasion of the hatching of what is assumed to be her 36th chick just last week. There are various accounts of Wisdom's age. Most put her in the 68 to 70 years old range. This is a bird that is older than my parents, still pumping out babies on Midway Island in the Northwest Hawaiian Islands. I couldn't find the age of her current mate, Akia Kamai, but he is Wisdom's second, having outlived her first, so he is almost certainly quite a bit younger. Rawr, go get him, Wisdom. Interesting Wisdom facts. Wisdom was banded by none other than Chandler Robbins, the great Patuxent ornithologist, creator of the Breeding Bird Survey, author of the Golden Field Guide, who died uh, just in the last couple of years. In the time that Wisdom has been alive, we have lost eight species of native Hawaiian bird. That's actually kind of a sad milestone. The yin and the yang of Hawaiian bird life. Midway Island is home to about 99.7% of the breeding population of Lysan albatrosses, nearly 675,000 pairs. That was the, the high crest about five years ago. It's a total population of about two and a half million. Remember, it takes albatrosses several years to get old enough to breed. So Wisdom herself is responsible for about 0.0014% of the total Lysan albatross population. I'm not sure whether that's impressive or not. I'm going to say it is. The previous record for the oldest albatross parent came from New Zealand. It was a northern royal albatross called Grandma, which, come on, folks. How do you call an old royal, royal albatross grandma when Victoria is right there? They're even a Commonwealth nation. No excuses. Anyway, she was banded in 1937, was laying checks until she was about 61, presumably shuffling off into the ocean in the late 90s. The takeaway here, other than Mazel Tov wisdom, is that albatrosses live a long dang time. Uh, longer than you'd expect. Honestly, who knows how long? Does wisdom have five years left? Ten years? Twenty years? Will she eventually age out of breeding and fly off into the sunset, cruising around the North Pacific till the end of her natural life? Maybe. Who knows? And knowing the threats to albatrosses, seeing the photos of the dead baby seabirds with plastic in their guts, I can't help but feel a little amazed that Wisdom has made it this long, has fledged so many chicks. I wonder if she, with her decades of experience, literal decades of experience, is maybe better at finding food, at avoiding plastic than other younger albatross parents. Uh, might fall victim to. How is it that Wisdom has run that plastic gauntlet? 
I don't know, but it would suggest that older albatrosses are critical to the success of the species as a whole. Interesting stuff. Uh, I, I wonder if anyone has actually done that work. I would like to talk to that person. So onward and upward, wisdom, congratulations. On the show today, double pileated woodpecker stories, two for one on the 2021 bird of the year. It's your lucky day. Cecilia Demoise of St. Petersburg, Florida and Redmond Brubecker of Ambler, Pennsylvania share some stories and a challenge. But first, you think you had a difficult 2021? Rebecca Heisman, she had a difficult 2021. In addition to the pandemic, she dealt with a cancer diagnosis that turned her anticipated year of birding into something a bit different. She wrote about it for Audubon. She's here to talk about it with me. All that after this week's Rare Birds. This is your Rare Bird Focus for the first week of February 2021. Not a to talk about this week as we're entering the doldrums of the ABA area rarity scene. It does always seem like late winter is the slowest time of year. Anything is possible for sure, but maybe, I don't know, maybe a little less possible this time of year. Some of the more interesting birds that I didn't talk about in earlier rare bird focuses that I'll talk about now because of uh, I don't have anything else uh, includes a northern weed ear in Wyandotte County, Ohio. Northern weed ear is the only member of this old world family that breeds in the ABA area, though we frequently forget that because those breeding ranges are in the far, far north. Populations breed in northern Nunavut and far northern Alaska. Interestingly, both of these populations winter together in sub-Saharan Africa, but take entirely different routes to get there, one over the Atlantic through Europe, over the Mediterranean, and the other across the width of Asia. When those birds undertake a phenomenon called mirror image migration, they go kind of 90 degrees the other way. So if you're thinking about Nunavut, instead of going across the North Atlantic, you cut off towards the Southwest, and they end up in places like Ohio. The winter continues to be an exceptional one for varied thrush and rock wren in particular, with new records of the former in Quebec, where it makes a nice pair with the continuing field fair, and the latter in Ontario. This winter has seen varied thrushes in Rhode Island, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Ohio, and Ontario, and rock wrens in Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island, Maine, and also Ohio. Good for Ohio, the only place with records of all three birds mentioned. Those are the ABA area rarity highlights for the last week. As always, for a more complete look, you can always check out the ABA's Rare Bird Alert every Friday morning at aba.org slash RBA, or you can join the community at our Rare Bird Facebook page at facebook.com slash groups slash ABA Rare, or follow us on Twitter at ABA Bird Alert. The year 2020 was an especially difficult one for, for many of us, but for writer and birder Rebecca Heisman, perhaps more than most, in addition to being the parent of a young child, dealing with a pandemic, she also dealt with a cancer diagnosis that upturned what was already something of a turbulent year. Uh, through it all, birds became what she calls a thread of sanity. She had an essay published recently at Audubon's website. I'm happy to have her here today. Welcome, Rebecca. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Super. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you expected from 2020 and what 2020 became for you? Yeah, well, I decided at the beginning of the year as sort of a New Year's resolution that I was going to try keeping a year list for the first time. Mm -hmm. uh, because even though I've always really liked birds and been a, a birder or a bird watcher to, you know, varying degrees of intensity 
over time, over the past few years in particular, I'd found myself just spending less and less time actually getting out and looking at birds, which mm-hmm. is funny because I'm a, I'm a science writer who writes about birds. Um, yeah. And then until midway through last year, I was working for the American Ornithological Society, but I was spending all of my time, you know, at my computer reading yeah, papers no. about birds and writing about birds. And I had... feel that very, very deeply, actually. Yes. <laughs> yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So like I wanted to rediscover birding as a hobby. So it's like, all right, I'm going to keep a year list, but I also don't want to feel stressed to go out and see every bird I can. Mm-hmm. So it's going to mm-hmm. be, I, I just, I called it a, a lazy year list. It's just going to mm-hmm. be a list sure. of all the birds that I happen to run into over the course of the year, but that'll motivate me to, to look when I'm out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yep, and then, and then 2020 it, it, happened. <laughs> exactly. I guess this is sort of a shorthand way of saying that uh, that the year did not uh, go the way that you expected. Yep. Um, obviously, the pandemic was the first blow, and then um, and then a cancer diagnosis. Yeah, um, it was sort of a gradual process. Getting diagnosed with cancer doesn't doesn't yeah. happen overnight. You know, it starts with find, in my case finding a weird lump in your armpit, which actually it happened a while before. And then for a while, it's, it's a long story for a while. We mm, thought it was nothing sure. and then it turned out not to be nothing. And then, so I, you know, I had a needle biopsy and then an excisional biopsy and blah, blah, blah. So right, right about during when spring migration was really happening, I was in the process of getting diagnosed and then getting staged, which is where you find out how widespread it is. And first was told I was going to, you know, need to have radiation. And then they decided it was more widespread and I was going to need to have chemotherapy. And so I was going out, you know, on weekly nature walks with my family, trying to figure out where we could still go to see some birds when everything was closed during the pandemic. And then also dealing with this. Yeah. I think a lot of us who are sort of listening have, you know, maybe, maybe experienced cancer treatment or, or have been alongside friends and family who have done so and sort of familiar with the, with the toll that the treatment takes on you. Did, uh, did it change your birding at all? Um, Yes and no. I mean, I couldn't. I, I sometimes there were definitely weekends when I didn't have a ton of energy to go out for a long walk. But I don't mm. know how many places there were close by where we really could have gone for a long walk <laughs> yeah. anyway. Because you know everything kind of opened up again over the summer. But there was a while where like all the parks were closed. Yeah, the pandemic is sort of the X factor in this whole story, right? A lot yeah. of the things that you might <laughs> lean on typically, not just that you might find comfort in. Like long, like walks or any of that sort of stuff, yeah. or even like closeness to friends and family would are not necessarily available because it is it was twenty twenty. Yeah. yeah, and I got a kind of easy on the whole chemotherapy thing. I was I had a treat. I had six treatments spaced three weeks apart, and because I was going into it pretty young and healthy, I never had any really terrible right. side effects. Yeah. Like I would feel kind of crummy for a couple of days after, and then feel pretty normal for two and a half weeks, and then go in for my next one. So it could have been a lot worse in that regard, but it was just. A lot of different stressors coming into my life all at once. Yeah, yeah, and there's sort of a, an angle of uh, escapism and, and stress relief yeah. that I find sort of just inherent in the birding experience. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, did you find that to be amplified at all while you were going through this health this health crisis? Yeah, I think I talked a little bit in the little piece that I wrote for Audubon about how it was almost like going out and like seeing what birds had showed up in our little patch that we did find that was accessible during the pandemic. You know, we'd kind of go for a walk there once a week and see what had changed. And it was just kind of mm-hmm. good to like get out of my own head because when you're going yeah, through yeah. that, you have so much to worry about and think about all the time. And it, I really needed this reminder that like there was still a world going on outside. Like birds don't, birds don't know that there was a pandemic happening. Right. You know, there was still yeah. this whole, like this whole non-pandemic bird world out there that I could go visit once a week. Yeah. Yeah. I've always found it really comforting. Um, just, you know, when you're dealing with things, you know what, we all have things that we deal with from time to time, maybe not necessarily health issues, but, you know, emotional issues or, or any sort of issues that yep. and it's just really helpful to go out and bird 
and yes. just think of that yes. as opposed to everything else. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I guess some folks call it, you know, ornotherapy. I've heard that <laughs> word kind of tossed around a little, but there, there really is something to that. You know, it's it's useful to to get out of your head and focus on something else that is not a stressor. Yeah. And these days, often I have a almost three year old with me when I'm out right. trying to look for birds. But every once in a while, I try to leave him home with my husband and be like, <laughs> I'm going I'm going by myself today. You need to keep him home. I'm like, he he loves birds. He knows Toey and all sorts of birds that you might not think an almost three year old would know, which is fun. But every now and then it's like I need to see how many birds I can find without without a toddler following me today. Yeah. Do you think listing in particular kind of is a, you know, it's a focused search for a new bird, even you know, a year list is interesting in that you sort of know what you're going to be seeing through the year. There's not a lot of, you know, unknown, you, you, you kind of expect certain birds to come at certain times, but you know, you write in your Audubon essay that sort of keeping these notes, looking forward to these new birds every season, setting these sort of goals uh, as a yeah. way to remind yourself that things are, are out there was, was the list an important part? of this sort of therapy. Yeah, I don't know that I thought about it exactly like that, but yeah, it's there's, there's it's so hard sometimes to find things to look forward to just just during the pandemic in general mm-hmm. when when travel and everything is canceled and then also during chemotherapy. I remember like I remember the social worker at the cancer center saying like put some things on your calendar to look forward to, like come up mm-hmm. with something that you and you're right. I hadn't that that you know, thinking about what new birds I'm going to see in the next upcoming season, it definitely can play a part in that. There were some there were some good surprises too though. Yeah, were, were you able to get out and do anything like sort of physically taxing? You you talk a little bit about a, about a camping trip in the essay. How did that come about and and sort of how was that helpful? Um yeah, so an, another thing we wanted to do at the beginning of 2020 when we were talking about what we thought the year was going to look like, we spent a lot of time exploring <laughs> yeah. the Blue Mountains as a family, which is this sort of little known mountain range in southwestern Washington, northeastern Oregon, where I live. So you can, I can see the mountains out my front window, but not right now because it's raining. But anyway, so we wanted to spend a lot more time out in the National Forest. And then everything, you know, everything just shut down in the spring and I just had too much else to think about. Mm-hmm. And then in August, I finally kind of, I think, I think things had reopened before that, but I just had my head down and hadn't even noticed. And I finally got right. wind of the fact that like, you know, those, they're, like the hiking trails and, and stuff have opened up again. And like, I'm feeling good enough, even though I'm still doing chemo, that I think we could go for a hike. And so one weekend we drove up there and went for a hike and we liked it so much that decided to like go back up soon after and, and camp on a lake up there. And the night that we happened to set aside for camping happened to be the evening of the day that I had my like PET scan to see like midway through chemo to see if it was working. And mm-hmm. so that was a really good distraction. Like, we're just going to go. We're going to spend the right. night on a lake. I got to add Gray Jay and Townsend's Warbler to my list because <laughs> yeah. we don't get those in the valley. So that was fun. And then the the good news was that the PET scan was totally clear. I was already in remission halfway through. So that's pretty ending. remarkable. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah. Uh, and, and did that change the way that you birded for the rest of the year? Or was the pandemic still the sort of defining thing that, uh, you know, limited what you were, what we were planning to do? Um, definitely toward the end of the year, I spent more time up in the mountains than we had at the beginning of the year. So I got to add a couple other, like, just like a rough grouse. I didn't see a rough grouse until September because we weren't going up into the mountains hardly at all. So seeing a couple of those guys and yeah, just, just feeling a little bit better physically and a little more optimistic about the future, I think probably did change my mindset. Sure. In a normal year, 
you know, you might be expected to have lots of support maybe from friends and family. Um, but the fact that this is, you know, a pandemic year and we're sort of out of necessity separated, certainly you as a, you know, going through chemotherapy, going through the treatment. Yeah. Did you find birding to be uh, probably not necessarily a one-to-one replacement, but something you could sort of lean on, something that would always be there? Uh, I don't know, you know, a sort of an internal support structure that sort of serves a similar purpose to what you might get from from friends and family following a diagnosis like this? Yeah, I think so. I definitely would text friends of mine who are also birders about what I had seen this week. Hi, Sarah, you get texts from me all the time being like, <laughs> guess what bird I saw today? So, you know, it definitely kind of gave me something to talk about with some of my friends who are birders when I was keeping up with them and just gave me a reason to keep going outside. And so I was sort of thinking about um, the way we think the words that we use to sort of talk about cancer and and mm-hmm. you know you know fighting it or oh beating yeah yeah or things like that and you know how yes. it's you know that has really nothing to do with yeah. how people respond to it because you know I think a lot of us know have you know friends or family members who have had the diagnosis and have you know fought you know, quote unquote as hard as you yep. possibly can and you still you still don't make it and it really doesn't have anything to do with you know, how you respond and how yeah. you come out. Is, is birding a sort of better framing device for, for the journey, I want to say, of being a, of the cancer diagnosis to the, to the remission? Maybe. Yeah. 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 I'm, right, I'm right there with you that I kind of hate the, the, the words that get thrown around like battling cancer and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I, I, I kind of reject the notion that I, you know, beat cancer because I'm super tough or whatever. No, I just, right was treated for cancer. And fortunately, the treatment was successful. It had nothing to do with me being super tough or whatever. And yeah, I mean, I kind of see what you're getting at. Like with birding, you can't control, you know, what birds you're going to see or anything. You just kind of have to keep going and keep getting out there. And with cancer, despite what people want to say about being a tough warrior or whatever, it's Mm -hmm. really all out of your control. And you just kind of have to follow your doctor's advice and keep going. So yeah. Yeah, and it's sort of the list is a useful way to do it because there are certain milestones, I guess, you know, when you are working your way through the diagnosis and working your way through the, um, look, we have no better words than say battle, beat, whatever. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. it's like I'm, I'm like good... struggling to come yeah. up with words to use to describe this. But um, yeah, you know, the list is there are mileposts mile mm-hmm. that you still have, you know, as you're going, you're in remission, but you still have oh, these yeah. mileposts that you're, yep. you're going to be looking towards for, you know, the rest of your life. But um, and birding is very similar to that. You know, you you hit your 100 species, you get your 200 species, and each one of those is sort of a, a something that you can look back on and with a little bit of pride that you reached this milestone and you've you've made it. You know, whatever. Yeah, maybe it's a better way to think about this. I I I don't yeah. know. No, not I, having I like been that. in the situation myself, but yeah, definitely. I had um. So I had six chemo treatments and it's nice because six is divisible by a lot of things. So it's like, all right, I'm right, a sixth of the go. way through. All right. I'm a third of the way through. All right, right. I'm halfway through. Like every time yeah. I went in for another one. Yep. So. Yeah. Yeah. And same thing with, yeah, looking forward to hitting your hundred species or whatever. I did not hit 200 species. My year was had 116 <laughs> yeah. species on it, but that's okay. Yeah. Well, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before we yep. started recording and, um, you know, lists are such an intensely personal thing, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, I, I love for, Speaking for myself, like I love my county list because it's like it's a it's a sign of how much time I have invested in this place that I I wouldn't say I've chosen to call home, but it's where my home is. And so 
um, I've put this time in and this is, this is the result of that time. Um, and you know, a lot of people think have lists that they think of that way. Well, you know, yeah. you may have only hit 115, 100, what was it? 100 and, 116. I'm sorry. I was sliding you that one bird. I didn't mean to. <laughs> My marsh that. ran on December 19th. <laughs> 116 species, but you're always going to be able to look back on this year, this list as uh, yeah. as an accomplishment because of that. Yep. What what are your plans going forward? I guess we're all still sort of dealing with this with this pandemic, so we're all, you know, plans are are necessarily sort of in flux. But um, what what is yep. what do things look like for twenty twenty one? Well, embarrassingly, my twenty twenty year list lives in a Google Doc. So for <laughs> the beginning of, for the beginning of twenty twenty one, we actually created a family eBird account for myself. Yeah, there you shared go. by myself and my spouse finally, right? So I really I, and I love that that keeps track of county and everything. So we might try to have fun building up a family county year list, like or county list in general, like you mentioned. I think that'll be a lot of fun. We've got a actually pretty reasonable diversity of habitat in our county because it goes from the valley here up into the mountains where you get a mm-hmm. lot of the western mountain species. So I think over time we might be if we if we work at it a little bit, we can probably get a pretty fun list going. And yeah, then in not in in non bird watching specific plans, I'm also hopefully going to be working on a book about bird migration. So that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, we'll certainly have to have <laughs> you back to to talk about the yes, the please. book once it's finished. Um yes. is there any bird during your year last year that had any sort of special significance like one that you were feeling especially rough that day or um was a bird that you was on the same day that you may have had some really great news with regard to your diagnosis um is there any bird that you'll think back as sort of emblematic of this year that was Right at the end of December, it might have been like December 27th or something like that. I was taking a walk around my neighborhood and I had a flock of five blue jays fly into a Mm -hmm. tree right over my head, which to people listening to this back east might not sound like a big deal, but I live in Washington. Oh, yeah, (laughs) that's good for them. Yeah, there's I guess they're seen in eastern Washington just about every winter now, but I had not seen one since moving here. Like they're not they're not real, real common. And I had heard rumors that they had been seen in my neighborhood, but I had not seen any previously. And that was just really exciting. That made me really happy. And then I went home and looked at my year list and realized that, of course, Blue Jays were already on it because back in January, <laughs> back in January, we hadn't before, before the pandemic, we had in fact visited my mother-in-law in New Jersey, and I saw Blue Jays there. So it's like, oh, it doesn't get to be my my year list Blue Jay, but it was still just a really fun end of the year to see the species that I associate with where I grew up back east and had never seen out here, and then to have one, want well, to have five appear in front of me like a block from my house was really special. Well, you'll have to have like a Washington year list and then a yeah. like global year list. <laughs> yep. But, you know, the Washington year list would necessarily probably be a little bit shorter. A lot of birds yep. you could probably picked up in New Jersey that you didn't see in, in Washington. <laughs> yep. Boy, I can't imagine like traveling. That feels like so I know, far away right? at this point. But yeah, I did technically get to get like some of the, uh, not, nothing too special because we didn't actually go out and do much birding. But my mother-in-law's neighbor had a bird feeder. And so I was peeking out so that i could get blue jay and cardinal and titmouse and <laughs> those guys on my year list uh, rebecca heisman is a writer and birder from walla walla washington a link to a recent essay at audubon is in the show notes she's working on a book about bird migration and hopefully we can have you back and you can talk about that uh, thank you so much rebecca and congrats on your continued remission i hope that uh, 2021 is uh, way better <laughs> yep yeah thank you for having me hi nate This is Cecilia from St. Petersburg, Florida. My most memorable Pileated Woodpecker sighting 
was in a suburban park near my house. I was running through the park when a pair of pileated woodpeckers flew out of a tree going in different directions. One of the woodpeckers was being pursued by a cooper's hawk, which was surprising since these woodpeckers are so large. Not sure what happened to the other one because I was watching the one being pursued and the cooper's hawk was eventually unsuccessful in its pursuit. Hi, I'm Redmond from Pennsylvania. My first pileated woodpecker sighting of 2021 uh, came as I first heard the maniacal laughter of a pair of pileateds, and I was able to approach pretty close. Um, they weren't too bothered by me. I stood right below one of them as they pecked away at a sizable tree, and off flew a chunk of wood, and I reached out my hand and caught it. So I want to issue that as a challenge to any other people trying to find pileated woodpeckers this year. If you're able to catch a piece of falling pileated wood before it hits the ground, uh, send in a picture and maybe we can see some of those beak marks that you were talking about in your story, Nate. Thank you so much, Cecilia and Redmond. I love these pileated woodpecker stories. Keep them coming. Record them into the voice memo app of your phone. Send them to podcast at aba.org. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. Please consider joining the ABA. If you like what we do here, you'll get access to print publications all about birds, discounts to our partners, and our thanks as we build a better birding community in the U.S., Canada, and the world. Get information about all our memberships, including e-memberships at aba.org slash join. I do want to make some shout outs today to John Ossier and Christine Bowsley of Minneapolis, Minnesota, Emily Helton and the Tarnowski household of Farmington, New Mexico, Mallory Webb of Grand Rapids, Michigan, David McConnell of Worcester, Ohio, Cameron Pampas of Charlottesville, Virginia, Lisa Schultz and the Schultz household of Camp Hill, Pennsylvania, Janet Feltry and family of Dalton, Pennsylvania, Casper Persons and family of Portland, Oregon, Janet Henderson and family of Boise, Idaho, a lot of family memberships, great to see you. Michael Golliver of Farmington Hills, Michigan, Lisa Cronin and family of Eliamore, West Virginia, Jay Srinivasan of Columbus, Ohio, Stephen Tarnowski and family of Farmington, New Mexico, and James Toole of Fort Wayne, Indiana, all of whom recently joined the ABA noted this podcast as a reason. I really do appreciate it so much. Y'all put a smile on my face when I record these and pull up the names every week. Executive producer of the podcast and president of the ABA is Jeffrey Gordon, who, inspired by Super Bowl Sunday, asked why we can't get that sort of attention for the Orioles series. Technical production is by John Lowry, who eagerly awaits the resumption of the NHL culminating in the battle for the Stanley Coot. Additional help comes from Greg Neese and David Hartley, neither of which think that the college basketball season is very appealing this year, but they could maybe get excited for Lark's Madness. You can find us online at aba.org, on Facebook at facebook.com slash birders, on Instagram at American Birding Association, and on Twitter at ABA. You know, here at the end, I couldn't decide whether I wanted to kind of lean in on the NBA finals or the Champ Penguins League, but ultimately, I just want to say what a shame it is that the 2020 Tokyo Olympians are unlikely to occur. Questions, comments, corrections can come to podcast.aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy. See you next week.